Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hallelujah. You, you can be seated. I really feel like I am under assignment this morning. And let me say what a great, great honor it is to be invited to speak the first Sunday of the first of the year and to declare some things that I believe God has been saying to me as we sat last night and fellowshiped a little bit. The very same things that were on Pastor Ben's heart have been the things that are on my heart. And uh, I was thinking this morning as I prepared to share what I believe the Lord laid on my heart, I was thinking, uh, you know, in my family, uh, my family, I have two daughter-in-laws. One of them is a chiropractic doctor. One is a medical doctor. I have a theological uh, degree and doctorate. And so our philosophy is we will fix you. <laughs> we will medicate, manipulate, or minister to you. We will... But this morning, I feel a little bit like a chiropractor. I feel like the Lord is going to allow me to prophetically bring a little bit of adjustments to some things. You know, I have been a pioneer. I don't say that arrogantly, but I have been a pioneer. I preached the gospel of grace in the new covenant when it was not cool, when people wouldn't walk across the road to spit on you. But I thank the Lord that I've been able to walk through some things and see what works and what doesn't work. And there's a lot of things that are resurfacing, especially on social media that are not new at all. They're an old thing in a new package. And I saw some of it back in the 80s, and I can kind of figure what works and what don't. But this morning, I really felt like the Lord gave me a specific assignment. So I'm just going to get started because I know we are here on Sunday morning. But I'm going to open, first of all, to Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1. Read a few verses, and then we're going to go to chapter 2 of Hebrews. Chapter 1, verse 1 said, God who at various times, and I'm reading from the New King James, and in various ways spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Touch your neighbor say, Jesus is going to get his inheritance too. I don't know if you ever thought about he has an inheritance, but he's going to get his inheritance too. To whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son today, I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. But when he, again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness. And hated lawlessness, therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Lord, you in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They shall perish, but you will remain, and they will grow old like a garment. And they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years fail not. Now, I want to stop for a moment and just build this. First of all, how many know he is writing to Hebrews? How do I know that? It's the title of the book. Audience relevance is really important. He's talking to Hebrews who are at the greatest pivotal point probably in human history because he begins to declare to them everything about the book of Hebrews is what's better about the new covenant 
than the old one. He starts out in, gen in the beginning saying he's better than angels. Then he's better than Joshua. Then he's better than Moses. Then he's better than Levi. And then there's better blood. There's better promises. There's a better tabernacle. There's a better city. There's a better faith. Everything about it's better and it's more excellent. That's the key of the book of Hebrews. But these words were really pivotal to me many, many years ago, when, especially when he says, God who at sundry times and times past spoke to us in through by the prophets has, past tense, in these last days spoken to us by the Son. Now, I don't want to get too deep on a Sunday morning, but let me just submit something to you here this morning for your consideration. This verse is not talking about the last days of a cosmic collapse. It's talking about the last days of a covenant. That's a game changer. Many places in the scripture, even where it talks about the end of the world, is really a bad translation in the original King James, and the new King James corrects it because it's not the end of the world as in globe. It was the end of an age. That's a game changer. And if we don't get that, we're going to be 2,000 years into the future preaching the wrong covenant, and that's our problem right now. And at best, we become a mixture. And so someone challenged me, said, well, what are you going to do with these scriptures before when he talks about the heavens are going to pass away and they're going to be folded together like a garment? I said, well, you've got to see the verbiage that he's using here. First of all, in biblical terminology, when a Jewish person would think of heaven and earth, they would think of their covenant because in Isaiah, he prophesied to them and said, when I stretched out the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth and said to Zion, you are my people. It's when God made a covenant that he created a heaven and and earth and if you ask any Jewish person what heaven and earth symbolizes to them they would say it's our temple it's where God and man met together it was where the visible and the invisible came together the human and the divine how many know in the old covenant that was in a building this morning how many know that's a people how many know it's a people made out of lively stones and the key to me is, he said, they will be changed like a garment. Without taking a long time to unpack this this morning, the Gospel of Matthew says, you don't put a piece of new cloth in an old garment. How I many know that's what we try to do is we try to take the pieces of the new covenant we think we want to use and we try to patch up an old covenant. But how I many know he said they're going to be folded together like a garment. So what I'm talking about here this morning is absolutely a shift or a change of covenant. And I want to set that stage powerfully this morning because the next verses that I want to share in the next chapter are something the Lord really placed in my heart that I spoke over all of our pastors during the September conference when uh, Pastor Ben asked me about coming. But in Hebrews chapter 2, it said, uh, God also bearing witness, this is verse 4, both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will, and then he says this, for he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him, you made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not under him. But now we do not see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. But by the grace of God, he might taste of death for every man. And then he begins to talk about his purpose beyond that would to bring many sons into glory. Now, let me just unpack this for a moment because this is really the thought that hit me. 
When you transition as they are out of an old covenant world, the last days of an old covenant world, and you're coming into a new covenant world, he begins to declare this to them. He says, for God didn't put the world to come in subjection to angels. He put it in subjection to sons. And my question this morning is normally on New Year's Eve, and I silenced my phone last night because on New Year's Eve, I get a lot of calls and texts from pastors say, what do you think God is going to do in 2023? I think that's the wrong question. Well, I'm not getting much help here. I think the question is, God has already done what he's going to do through the finished work. Maybe the question is, what are you going to do with God's already given to us? And so a little bit of a chiropractic adjustment here this morning is, what are you going to do in 2023? Because the world to come was not put in subjection to angels. That means you can't lay on the couch and send angels to do something God told you to do. You see, we spend more time asking God to do something he told us to do or asking him to do something he's already done. Come on, somebody. And what he might be wanting us to do is to understand that he's put us in a position as sons and daughters of God to be the architects of the world that we want to live in. And I would ask you this morning, as you look over what is going on in our world, what kind of a world... Do you want to, what, what kind of a world do you want to build? What do you want to build in your family? What do you want to build in your local church? What do you want to build in your city? What kind of a world are we going to be the architects of? Can I get just a little help in here this morning? And then he quotes Psalm 8. And Psalm 8, he's the one in a certain place, and he's quoting from Psalm 8. And Psalm 8 starts out, When I consider the sun, the moon, and the works of your hands, and all that you have created... What is man that you're mindful of him? Another translation says, when I consider the heavens and the moon and the stars and all the greatness of your creation, what is man that your mind is full of him? Another one says, what is man that everything you create and everything you do has man in the center of it? See, I don't know, we, 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 we look at sometimes it like we, we get so extreme in sovereignty that we think God is like pulling all the strings, except what we don't understand is that when God created man in his image and placed him in the garden and the Lord God blessed them, favor, everybody say favor. favor. First thing he did was gave him grace, he gave him favor. And the Lord God blessed them and then said, lay on the couch and take it easy. He said, be fruitful multiply, replenish, have dominion. Somebody said, if there's a God, why is the world in the mess it's in? Because the people God put in charge are waiting on angels to do something he told them to do. I know this is a little tight this morning. But what he started to do, what he began to realize is, listen, touch your neighbor, tell him you're blessed to be a blessing. This favor is for something. And the shift I believe that has to come is that when we begin to realize that God has put us, you see, what I think one of the greatest mistakes we make in the church is that we think the gospel 
is about getting enough people saved so we can get from here to there and some glad morning after we've lived 70 or 80 years in misery, we can go there and then we'll be happy. But that's really just a very minute piece of the, uh, of the gospel. I mean, I'm all about getting people to heaven. But the truth of it is the gospel, even the gospel of the kingdom, is not about how I can get from here to there. It's how can I get what's happening there to operate here. That's why Jesus came to be the federal head. Come on, he was the last Adam to reboot and restructure under a new covenant. What God started in the old creation, Jesus through the resurrection became the firstborn of a brand new species of creation. And from that moment on, God's mission is not just to get you from here to heaven, but to bring his new creation world to invade yours. And Revelation 21 ends by saying this. It says, Behold, I am making all things new. And when he declared in Revelation chapter 20, what I love it from the Message Bible, it says, Behold, or the King James says, Behold, the, the tabernacle of God is with men. The new, uh, or the Message Bible says it like this. It says, Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He made his home in men. Slap your neighbor, tell him property values just went up. Why is that? Because when God moves in the neighborhood, he starts a major renewal program and he rears back and said, I'm making all things new. Write these words. They are true and they are faithful. Listen, God's plan didn't change because the calendar changed it. He's just trying to get some folk on board with what he's trying to do. And that's get involved as co-heirs with him of his new creation program. And when we begin to realize that that new creation comes through our new birth. Hallelujah. <laughs> How many know when Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism, it was literally a, a, almost a symbolic thing. It, just the fact that the dove landed on him was the thing. Let me tell you, when Noah released two birds out of the ark, he just an old world, he just left an old world dominated by sin, got on a boat, came into God's new world. And when he got ready to land that boat, he lets two birds fly out. One of them's a dirty bird. It flies all the way through the scripture and lands in the book of Revelation where Babylon has become the hold of every foul spirit, the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. But the dove only has to fly to the book of Matthew where it finds Jesus coming up out of the water. You ain't going to help me. The real ark just showed up. And when the dove landed on Jesus, that was saying to John the Baptist, right here's the new world. Right here's where you start. Come on. And then the Peter, the apostle Peter grabs that in his epistle and he says the like figure is that Noah was a picture of water baptism. Can I tell you that the reboot that God does in our lives is when we give our hearts to Jesus, we submit to water baptism. What we're saying is I'm leaving an old world behind and I'm coming up in a brand new world where I can become the car architect of... Listen, when Noah, I feel like Noah this morning, Pastor Ben. I feel like I just got off the boat in a new world. I got a clean slate. I got a blank check. Come on, somebody. And I get to create the kind of a world that I want. The kind of world that I can live in. See, I, let me tell you something. I believe we are living in a season when God is calling us. I, I, I feel this prophetically. Where it, it's, listen, I, I told Pastor Ben last night, I turned 65 this year. I know I look way too young for that. Thank you so much. <laughs> but when you get to this age, you start having a different perspective. You start thinking, I ain't got time to preach cute little sermons and entertain people. I'm either going to say something or I'm going home. <laughs> Sit on my porch and enjoy my kids and my grandkids, my wife. Hallelujah. 
But what I begin to realize is that it is important for us what we, I, I am so honored to be here this morning because I said, told him last night, I said, listen, I so admire you that you have the guts to preach a message that is really cutting edge, a message that's going to begin to do some things in people's lives to begin to put some stuff in order where all of a sudden it's not just about how I can get from here to there, but it really gives you back your life and the abundant life on every level. Because see, what God wants to do in our lives is not because it simply makes him happy, but it's also because it gives you your life back and gives you this abundant life on every level. See, see, behavior is important under the new covenant, not because of what it does to God. See, this, 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 this vertical relationship is secure. God is happy with me. He, he is pleased with me. His favor and his grace is on me. But what I find out is once I get this vertical relationship established and understand what it means, all of a sudden there's this outflow that starts to work on this horizontal level where it starts to be outworked with how I treat my family, how I treat my neighbor, how I treat the waitress at a restaurant. Hallelujah. I, I, and even clear down to how you treat a, a, a waitress at a restaurant. And so, you know, I begin to just really realize that this world that we are, I, I, you know, there's so much in my spirit this morning. But right in the midst of chaos, God began to move on a man like Ezra and Nehemiah. They are leaving Babylonian captivity. They've lost their land. They've lost their, almost lost their national identity. God starts to move on a man by the name of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra's name means my helper, and Nehemiah's name means the comforter. Touch your neighbor and say, he's talking about the Holy Ghost right here. And in the middle of chaos, the comforter and the helper rise up in the middle of catastrophic chaos. See, chaos is the end of what's not working anymore, but it's the birthplace of change. Now, I got to tell you, we've come through some chaos in the last couple of years. And you may look at the chaos and cry, the sky is falling. But I feel like Ezra and Nehemiah this morning. I'm going to go and I'm, I'm going to do exactly what Ezra and Nehemiah did. They said, right in the midst of chaos, let us arise and build. Because you're either going to be, see, the church in America is more famous for what we're against than what we're for. And in the day that I'm living at this age, I am not preaching for popularity. I've had enough of it to, to, that, that I could care less about another platform. I am not preaching for popularity. I am preaching for my posterity. And I realize that the message that I am preaching and declaring and caring is going to give my children and the grandchildren the kind of a future that I want them to have. Listen, I, I, as for me and my, I wish I'd get somebody on board with me this morning. I said, as for me and my house. I don't know what you're going to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to build something in the earth, come on, that we can leave to generations and generations to follow. That will be something that I think is a world that you kind of want to live in. And, and, and let me tell you, I am so thankful for what the gospel has produced in my life. My wife and I sat on the porch a lot of evenings and just talk. And I said, you know what? From the time we came up in legalistic, real, hardline, condemning Pentecost, and I, I appreciate my roots, but coming through all of that condemnation and then understanding the gospel of grace gave 
gave us back our life. I said, what a world. And see, you know what? I, 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 I'm enjoying the journey so much. I said, I'm enjoying the journey so much that I want it to last as long as it possibly can because the gospel has given me back my peace, my joy, my righteousness. It's given me back my family. Come on, somebody. It'll give you back your family, your joy, your peace. You'll quit having to take Christmas to correct everybody and be the, the church sheriff. You'll start to be able to speak some grace over their lives, and they'll start to want to come around more. Y'all hearing where I'm coming from? And when I started to think of this, you know, I realized that even in the midst of chaos, that God began to put people with Ezra and Nehemiah, like Zechariah, who would join them in the building. And these prophets would encourage them. And Zechariah comes on the scene. He starts to prophesy. He said, you know what? The cornerstone and the capstone are going to be laid with shouts of grace, grace. The only place I know of where there's a double enunciation of grace is in John's gospel where it says, come on, it says that, that Moses gave you the law, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, and grace for grace. I mean, he was the cornerstone that was laid in God's favor, had just come on the planet to begin God's new creation project. And so Jesus shows up in the middle of chaos. Roman occupation, bad political climate, bad economics, a mother who everybody thinks is out of wedlock. Come on, somebody, because favor don't always look like favor. It don't start out looking like favor sometimes. Come on, sometimes what you think the enemy means for evil, God can turn it for good because if God's favor is on you, come on, somebody, you can lose everything and next year have back double everything you had. I'm prophesying to somebody. You might have lost it this season, but you're about to get back double for your trouble. Hallelujah. I feel like prophesying somebody's business uh, that looked like it was about to fall apart is about to come back double time. I could tell you stories of how God, I thought what men meant for evil and things were falling apart. And one year later, God give it back everything double. Hallelujah. And Jesus, in the middle of Roman occupation, politically bad climates, gets up. First time he gets to preach in Father's house. He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Because if you preach the gospel to the poor, they won't be poor anymore. <laughs> to bind up the brokenhearted. He's talking not to drug dealers on the street. He's talking to religious dudes. Because <laughs> they're brokenhearted, disappointed, bruised, beat up. And come on. And then he says, he has anointed me to preach the year of the favor of God. He preached favor when it didn't look like favor. Here, here's something 43 years of ministry taught me. What you preach will manifest because faith comes by hearing. If you preach on devils, demons will show up. You preach on suffering and people will get pulled through a knot hole backwards. You preach, come on, process and people will get processed. I started preaching favor when it didn't look like favor. Come on, somebody. 
I said, you got to preach favor and declare some things prophetically even over your own life because this world to come, he didn't put in subjection to angels, but he did put it. See, the worlds are framed. The word of God declares that the worlds are framed by the word of God. So when we start to speak the word of God over our lives, our finances, our families, our marriages, we start to speak, come on, over our bodies. We get filled with the spirit and speak to ourselves in psalms and in hymns. Sometimes you've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. Hallelujah, because what I'm telling you is God put us in, in, in control. For Which of the angels did he ever say? And what is man that you are mindful of him, that you would put him in charge over the works of your hands? I sometimes think back as I look up into the stars of the night in the heavens. And the, I was in Montana back, man, big sky country back in the summer. Looked up into the sky, saw the vastness of this universe and the stars and the moon. And I thought to myself while I was there praying, what kind of a mind am I talking to that's this big? What kind of a mind am I talking to that acknowledges me as having authority? And I think that there are spheres of authority. I think that first of all is the individual, and then the home, and then the local church, and then the government, and each one of them has their place. I'm just developing some things on this. I don't want to run that rabbit trail. But I do think what happens is we look at our world in the chaotic sense that it's in, and we think... It's just too big. It's too vast. Let's blame the political arena. Let's blame somebody. Let's, like I said, we, we are more famous in the American church for what we're against than what we're for. See, if you're not willing to adopt a baby, you ought not picket an abortion clinic. Well, that got quiet right there. If you're not willing to be a parent at home, See, what we do is we want to blame the government and say, well, if we could just, can, I, can we talk this morning? And, I, you know, my, 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 my audience is way too big to, to, to get political, but I feel like I need to say a few things. Because God did set perimeters and spheres where the church has the keys of the kingdom. Romans 13 says the government has the sword. Where we get messed up is when we try to mix up what each other's assignment is. So if the church uses the sword, you're going to have inquisitions, crusades, and a lot of horrific stuff. See, worlds, even Hitler and the Third Reich and Stalin and all of these guys did some things based on what they thought was going to produce a perfect society through a governmental assignment. So let me ask you this. If we think the answer to our problems is in Washington. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need to be involved and when the righteous reign, the people rejoice. But let's say we vote the guy we want into the White House and, and we get to pass all of the laws we want to pass. And we, we finally, now the church is going to run the government. My question is, which church do you want to run it? You want the Pentecostal holiness? You want the Catholics? You want, I mean, you want charismatics? I mean, here, here, listen, you're, you're, see, what we don't realize is the king was the head of the church in England. We don't study history, so we don't understand that the pilgrims got in a boat and came over here. 
to get rid of a top-heavy from the top-down government. And I said, God, you got to give us some answers for where we're at. He said, what I'm going to do is not from the top down. It's going to be from the bottom up. You can change the world from your living room. I said, you can change the world from your living room. I look back at my own history and I think, you know, Ben has been on the mountain that we pretty much own now. And on that hill was just a man and his wife and seven kids. My sister said the other Sunday morning, she said we was drug babies. We was drugged to church on Sunday. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.